from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wired, part of the College Wire Network. So this is episode four of our special summer series, The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley. We bring back Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault for more on Lincoln Riley based on what he did at the University of Oklahoma In this fourth installment of our 12-part summer series, we look at how the Big 12 shaped Lincoln Riley. So, Keegan, you know, we we saw a lot of different faces in the Big 12 over the years. You know, there were coaching changes at a lot of different schools, all while Lincoln Riley won one Big 12 championship after another. And the Big 12 that we had in 2016, 2017, very, very different from the Big 12 of 2020 and 2021, we saw the rise of Matt Campbell at Iowa State. We saw the emergence of Dave Aranda at Baylor. Uh, we saw the fall of Gary Patterson at TCU, and we saw Texas failing under different coaches. Um, so, just at, before you know, we're going to dive into the details as we always do. But just at, at the start, let's just get your broader view of how you think the Big 12 shaped Lincoln Riley and how he goes about his business. Yeah, I think what's so interesting, you're right. Look at the kind of, look at the amount of coaches that were in the big 12 during his time, right? Baylor went through Matt rule and, and went, uh, went to Dave Aranda, Texas had a coaching change, uh, Texas tech underwent one at the very end. Uh, so there was really only three programs that were stable, uh, during Lincoln Riley's time. And, um, it's it's Oklahoma State, it's Iowa State, uh, and TCU under Gary Patterson. So, and even they obviously fired Gary in that final season. So, uh, it's what's funny is one of those teams or two of those teams ended up being uh, giving Oklahoma or giving Lincoln Riley the biggest fits. And yeah, you're right. I, I think what's so fun to talk about this, and I love this segment, is because every team that they played forced Lincoln to do something a little bit different. Dana Holgerson at West Virginia, they had to go, they had to outscore them every single year. At Iowa State with John Heacock as a defensive coordinator and, and, and Matt Campbell, that was Oklahoma's toughest opponent because that defense was built to stop Oklahoma. Go look at what happened with Kansas State and Bill Snyder and then Chris Kleiman at the end of his tenure. Um, man, it, again, just another team and kind of program that's built to slow down the Oklahoma's offense and play a different kind of play a different kind of uh, game. And so every program short kind of made Lincoln Riley and in, in the way that they attacked themselves kind of made who Lincoln Riley, who he is now. And what's so fascinating um, is about all this is that Oklahoma still had the most talent. Of all, of all of, of all the things I'm talking about right now, Oklahoma by far had the most talent in the league with Texas. Um, but the Big 12 itself, you know, I think kind of was a crash course early on to turning Lincoln Riley into who he is today. Iowa State gave him some problems, but really in 2021, 2020, and 2019, didn't necessarily give him the most fits. The 2020 Big 12 title game, 
Iowa State's defense after halftime was really, really good. But really, 19, 20, 21, Lincoln Riley, and 18, Lincoln Riley had some real answers um, for what John Heacock did. So the Big 12 kind of made, as you've said and what you've led off this with, has kind of made Lincoln Riley who he is. And funny enough, as I mentioned, he still had the most talent than everybody, yet he still had to find those schematic little nuanced niche uh traits that he has to be able to make those adjustments and win a lot of football games. So if you are a, a PAC 12 defensive coordinator and you are studying how to, you know, contain Lincoln Riley's USC offense, which big 12 defensive coordinator from the past several years are you looking at? Are you looking at Jim Knowles from Oklahoma state? And of course, you know, he relocated to Ohio state, but nevertheless did a fantastic job with the pokes as you well know, then you have Heacock, you have Gary Patterson, you have Aranda, you have Matt Rule, so many f- formidable defensive minds. Which one do you think provides the best template for how to counter what Lincoln Riley does on offense? Yeah, it was definitely what John Heacock did at Iowa State. Playing that three-high safety look, um, I mean, really limited Oklahoma's ability to be vertical on offense, and it forced Oklahoma to play – uh, a different style of game. And Matt, it's very similar to what defenses are now doing in the NFL to Patrick Mahomes. You, you saw what Patrick Mahomes average distance of target was early on in his career compared to last year. It's drastic. And so Mahomes had to work more underneath, more to the intermediate f- areas of the field. It forced you to be very decisive um, and very accurate with your decisions as a quarterback. And so that, that three high look that Iowa state does that three, three, five, they run, now, now, I believe eight of the 10 Big 12 teams will be running that this season. This is what Tony Gibson did at West Virginia um, during his time, but John Heacock basically lifted that uh, and they installed it in 2017 for the OU game. Funny enough, Iowa State won that game and Norman, uh, if you can remember, and Baker Mayfield struggled and the offense struggled in the second half. Um, that's the defense that is the model. Now, Lincoln has found some answers, but overall, that is, that's the style of defense that has given him the most fits. So what is the fundamental counter to that defense? Uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, people will say, well, if you could run the ball, you know, then you can get a defense out, out of that uh, alignment. But in terms of the quarterback, so, you know, looking at Caleb Williams, and, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Patrick Mahomes had to be more patient. You know, he really wasn't very patient in the AFC championship game. That's why that game slipped away from the chiefs uh, against the Bengals. But uh, you know, so what is the key for a quarterback in terms of processing that defensive look and making certain decisions? What, what kind of play or what kind of read does a quarterback such as Caleb Williams need to make to solve the John heat? Yeah. That middle, that middle field safety. So the the guy that's playing in center field, is going to give away whatever direction of the coverage they're running. So if he if he's coming up, that means the two safeties with him are probably dropping back. If he's dropping back, they're probably playing cover three and they're dropping both corners back into deep coverage. So it's 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 tough on a quarterback. It really is. You got to be super decisive. You've got to know what keys you're looking for before the ball is snapped. Uh, to your point, what you asked, yeah, running the football is how Oklahoma in 2019 was able to really dominate. Uh, Iowa State. They ran it 200. They ran it for 226, five and a half yards per carry. Uh, they ran it all over Iowa State. But Matt, what's interesting is they got in the 12 personnel. They got two fullbacks or two H backs, is what, what Lincoln Riley is going to call it. They got two H backs on the field. 
uh, with Jalen Hurts, a running quarterback and a running back on the field. Um, so they were very heavy packages. And I, what I, from what, just looking on it from the outside, right? At least what they were trying to accomplish was, okay, you're going to keep five DBs on the field and you're only going to have three linebackers or really two linebackers on the field. You know, we're going to get heavy and we're going to run the football at you. But what they did the best is it was their gap scheme. So Iowa State, it, you know, they it looks like they only have five in the box, Matt. It looks like they're only going to commit five to the run but they always have seven guys committed, whether it's the center field safety, whether it's another safety that's deep, um, they're going to have seven guys committed, but they're also committed to lanes and committed to gaps. So when Oklahoma was able to run their counter scheme in 2019 with, with in those heavy packages, they're able to account for more gaps. They're able to be able to get more you know, hat on a hat and they ran the football really, really well. What that does is for Caleb that makes that makes his the keys he's looking for a lot easier, right? If if Oklahoma is able to run the football against it, they're able to really dictate matchups in the passing game, and Oklahoma is able to t- make the most of. Will be able, or I mentioned Oklahoma, USC uh, should be able to make the most uh, of those situations whenever they get in them. I think the Pac-12 runs quite a bit of this, um, but I, I would would be lying if I told you I was hundred percent sure of that. So in terms of Lincoln Riley's, uh, you know, how he handled Big 12 games, how he handled various Big 12 teams, you know, following Oklahoma football and following Oklahoma analysts on Saturdays the past several years, I think the most constant complaint I got, not just from fans, but also from analysts at the various OU sites that I followed, was that Lincoln Riley got too cute too often, got away from the running game, didn't, you know, just try to uh, smash mouth the ball. Now you, you noted that in 2019, he showed a little bit more discipline in terms of doing that. Now that might partly flow from just trusting Jalen hurts more as a runner than as a passer, which probably made sense, you know, give, given, uh, you know, what he had in Jalen hurts that particular year, but how do you evaluate how Lincoln Riley handled run pass balance, how he handled play sequencing, how he handled, you know, what he would call first down, second down, third down, uh, against the Big 12? What, what patterns, what uh, tendencies did you see? What what stands out in your mind? They were so good. The first, so from 15 to 19, they were so good getting into second and twos and second and threes, which obviously a lot of coordinators like to take shots in those situations down the field. They were so good at it, getting into very favorable passing situations and able to maximize on those things. Those last few years were different, Matt. They were getting into third and sixes, third and sevens with young quarterbacks behind a poor offensive, poor offensive line relative to Oklahoma standards. They were getting into those situations. And obviously it's kind of like, it's kind of like rolling a dice, you know, like I, it, you get into as many of those as Oklahoma was in at some point, it was going to come back to bite you. And it did uh, quite frequently actually. And that was a little bit concerning. Um, I, I don't buy this idea that, you know, they needed to run the football more um, than they did be just quite frequently because it's not like he was passing it like he was at East Carolina. Right. In my neck of the woods these days, Matt, um, being on the data, on the you know sports data science and, and, and analytics side of what we do, they tell you to throw the football more. And so he wasn't doing what he was doing at East Carolina. The passing rate was in the 60% or higher. It was actually the passing rate in 18 and 19 uh, were lower um, than the rushing rate. 
So again, I think Lincoln Riley is going to maximize what he, what, what his talent is going to be. And again, it all starts up front. If they can't run the football, you know, Caleb's going to get out of some crazy situations as you guys have seen in terms of Caleb Williams, that is. Um, but that's, that's got to be his goal, whether it's running it or passing it on early downs, they need to get into as many favorable situations as they can, because that's when Oklahoma's offense was at its best. That was when you saw Marquise Brown, um, catching long touchdowns. Uh, you saw CD lamb having this highlight plays like that's when that was going down and Oklahoma kind of got away from that because the offensive line play just wasn't as good as what it was in his early years. And so, um, that's probably the tendencies that I would, at least from my eyes, uh, that when I think of what the offense was it with, with under Lincoln Riley, it really is that. So this invites a question, not so much about Lincoln Riley, but about Bill Biedenbaugh, who, you know, I think USC fans were generally disappointed when he did not agree to join Riley at USC. But, you know, you mentioned on a previous episode of this series that the offensive line development the last two years, 2020, 2021, uh, wasn't as as good as what uh, many Sooner fans had hoped for. How much do you think COVID-19 and the disrupted pandemic seasons uh, did, you know, in, in terms of shaping that? Was there anything that Biedenbaugh did or, or, or didn't do that he had managed to do with those really successful 2017, 18, 19 offensive lines? Was there a, a recruit or a class that kind of slipped through uh, Riley's and Biedenbaugh's fingers? Uh, what, what, what was it that you know, accounts for the erosion later on in the, the Riley-Biedenbaugh years at Oklahoma? Yeah, they certainly yeah. missed on some recruits. And they didn't just miss on some recruits, Matt. They – they, they had a kind of a weird recruiting strategy. So Oklahoma specifically, even I mean, I guess you could say for every position, was very big on recruiting the elite players and then basically saying when you, this is your schedule, when you're going to be ready to play, this is when we're going to play you. So they would, you know, one year recruit three elite offensive linemen. Um, sometimes they'd be committed, but then they fell through, right? And when you don't have plan B or plan C and you're swinging on guys that are more coin flips, um, things are going in, you know, in the wrong direction if things do. And you look at the way they just had some misses, right? Uh, the most talented offensive line group that Oklahoma has signed, I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, is either the 17 or 18 group um, that had Daryl Simpson in it and Bray Walker in it. Uh, Bray Walker was a five-star who has not resulted in playing any significant snaps at Oklahoma. Uh, Tyrese Robinson, Marquise Hayes, I think were a part of that group and that group just underperformed and underdeveloped and there's really no rhyme or reason for it. And I think that that's part of the up, the, the uproar that Oklahoma fans have had because they blame it on strength and conditioning, which is, uh, another conversation that is tied to the USC. So, um, they had some misses, Matt, and that, that when you're, when you're on as good of a role as Oklahoma was with offensive line play right? Like you're due to have some misses on the recruiting trail. And they did. Um, they didn't necessarily fill those holes the way they needed to kind of in my opinion, but it happens. And, but the, pro the problem is right. Is you've got to be able to, you've got to recognize that issue uh, and you've got to be able to adjust. And they, they just went too long with the same mantra and same mindset and that, every, you know, that idea that, okay, we're just going to wake up one day and the Oklahoma offensive line is going to be back to what it was in 17 and 18. And that just wasn't the case. 
Final question for this uh, episode, this segment of our series on the Riley Files, uh, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley. Given what you've seen in the Big 12 over the past several years, co- covering the conference as you do, and also noting the, the evolution of football, uh, you've mentioned Patrick Mahomes and, and, and the Kansas City Chiefs earlier in this, in this broadcast. Does it matter whether you get five yards on first and ten on a running play up the middle, or whether you get those same five yards, you know, to be ahead of schedule with a five-yard hitch pass. I've I've seen enough football. I've consumed enough football analysis over the years to know that for some analysts, it matters whether you actually do a standard running play or whether you you throw the ball as kind of like on a screen pass, you know, as kind of an extended handoff. Does that distinction matter, or does it, or is it just about you know getting into second and five, second and four? No, no matter what it takes, is there any lesson to be learned from how the Big 12 forced Lincoln Riley to do certain kinds of things on offense? Well, one, he had some really good answers for it. <laughs> like, really good answers for it. You guys are going to see a wide receiver mid-screen where the inside receiver or single receiver side is going to be – looks like he's running a shallow cross, but he's really catching a screen pass and his receivers are blocking downfield in front of him. He's got to catch the football behind the line of scrimmage or those are offensive pass interferences. He got, he had that answer for it. Um, You know, I think they had some very interesting tunnel screen looks that they did. Uh, I, I think Lincoln, again, I know that we're about to talk about this in, in some future episodes, but the biggest thing for me that comes to mind sort of along this conversation is that if the thought is true, right, that he was, thinking of other things, the final three weeks of the 2021 season, Matt, he still, in terms of schematically and how Oklahoma tried to attack defenses, beat them, (laughs) right? Like, it's still great. That's how talented this guy is. His players didn't execute at the level needed to for them to execute those plays, but the plays that he was calling and the plays that were designed – should have worked. That's how damn good this guy is. And we are going to deal with that topic. You know, Lincoln Riley's mindset, his level of focus during the 2021 season, that is going to be the focus of our fifth episode in our 12-part series on the Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley. So Keegan Renault, thanks for joining us for episode four, that this next episode, uh, number five in our series, is going to be really juicy. So folks, uh, stay tuned for our next episode of Trojans Wired.